The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I am Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. Please follow us on social media where we are at No Nonsense Pod, both Twitter and Facebook. Also, if you're listening to the show on a podcast platform, which I'm sure you are because it's a podcast, uh, please be sure to subscribe to the show. That way you always get uh, new episodes quicker and uh, also give us a rating and review. Big Titans win on Sunday that we're going to be talking about in this episode. We'll also look ahead a little bit to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The narrative heading into Week 7 for the Titans was the offense being broken and quarterback Marcus Mariota being replaced by Ryan Tannehill. The results there were very, very good. I think we can all agree on that. Uh, I want to hold off on the Tannehill discussion for just a minute, though, and talk about another addition that the Titans had to their lineup on Sunday. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons, the rookie defensive lineman from Mississippi State, the Titans' first-round draft pick from this past year. Uh, It was unbelievable to me that I was sitting in that stadium in October when he tore his ACL in February. And not only was he playing, he was playing at a dominant level. He was he was so good. I think at one point I, uh, I I wrote in the group to you guys that he looked like the Hulk. He yes. is just so <laughs> so massive. And I mean, I kind of noticed it when I, when I was looking at his college tape. But the fact that he looks so big, so strong, just popping out of his out of his uniform and his pads. At the NFL level, is just is, is kind of kind of a sight to behold, but it, it was awesome to see him out there. His first game back from a uh, in February. I, I mean, to, to to be able to play that well just shows you how talented he is. And I, I really liked him pre-draft. I thought he was a top ten talent, pretty much. Uh, I just loved how dominant he was uh, in college. He was very good with his hands. Could could push. Uh, could 
uh, could take on double teams, could could knife through the line of scrimmage. He was just a really good, complete defensive lineman. And for him to put it all together in such a short period of time uh, at the next level is is really, really encouraging for the future. And, and if he continues to play like this, uh, it just gives a really good defense that extra step to, to get maybe get into that elite level. Yeah, I mean, when he was coming out of college, I think I had him as the third best defensive tackle, and I was lower than everybody else. I just thought Oliver and Quinnen Williams were better than him, but I mean, I was wrong. He he looks significantly better now than I think any other rookie we've had since Mariota uh, and his a rookie opener. Like it was just it was domination to a degree that. I haven't seen from Jarrell Casey in a couple of years, even last year when he had a really good season. It's something I haven't seen really from any Titans defender except for Kevin Byard, probably. Like it's it's it it seems strange to say because it's not like he had ten sacks or anything, but he only played a third of the snaps on defense, and he still had a sack and two tackles for loss. Like. And he wasn't playing on passing downs. So it's like he just so happened to be on the field when uh, Rivers decided, you know, to throw the ball and he got a sack. Like, he's just an exceptional player. It's hard to really overstate how good he is because nobody could stop him on that team. They lined him up all over the uh, defensive line. Like, I I don't, again, I I don't want to, like, make it sound like he's the next Indomitian Sioux or anything like that. But to come back from a torn ACL, like we said, to have three practices, like one of them in pads with the defense, you know, and to be intelligent enough. And there's there was some help on the defensive line and the linebackers kind of telling them where to line up and everything. But to be intelligent enough to know that, you know, against a tackle, you should try this or against a guard, you should do this. Or if you're facing a double team, do this. You know, it, it was all exceptionally high football IQ. They threw a screen thinking he would over-pursue on a certain play, and I think Harold Landry ended up getting out there and making the play first, but Simmons was right there too. Like, It's not like he was just doing one thing and rushing up field. Like, I mean, he did all the dirty work you could want him to. He did all the playmaking when he was given a chance. He and Daquan Jones may be the most powerful defensive tackle combination in the NFL right now. Like, They're both doing a fantastic job, so it was great to see him. Well, and I think you made it a good point there with, you know, let's not start calling him Ndamukong Sue quite yet because it was just one game. Uh, but, but I think you hit on probably the most impressive part, and that's that, as you said, you know, only three real practices, and he was still able to play all these different positions in this multiple-style uh, Dean P's defense. And that's something that, that Simmons worked really hard on because I remember I, I talked to him – a few weeks ago and asked him about, you know, what is the process like of taking mental reps? And it's, it's just, you know, he, he, he's like, well, you know, I kind of look out on the field and I'm like, you know, what would I be supposed, what am I supposed to do if this is, you know, me out there and not this guy? Uh, what would I maybe have done differently looking on the film? And, you know, we use that phrase mental rep sometimes to be perhaps a bit cliche, uh, but based on what you were talking about, Will, and what we saw from from Jeffrey on on Sunday, I mean, I, I think he really took that to heart, and we saw the fruits of that labor. Yeah, I mean, it, it it's hard, and, and, and like again, it's it's weird to say because like I'm not an NFL defensive lineman, I can't say exactly for sure like what the process is, but. 
it's so much harder to look off the field from you know a press box or from the TV angle or from the sideline and say, yeah. oh, he's doing that, I should do this, because you get to see everybody on the field at the same time. When you're in that phone booth and you're saying, okay, my first responsibility is this gap, which is what you're taught as a defensive lineman, or I know that I'm stunting, so I have to sell this and then do this, and then my responsibility is this. It's so much easier to say that when you can see everything than it is to when you're lining down on the field and playing it. So it it sounds easy, and like you know, there's going to be some people who sit on their couch and they're like, "Yeah, but that's his job. Like he should do that." You know, that really isn't his job. For a rookie defensive tackle, your job for the first six weeks, which is what he missed, should be okay, I'm going to be given one small assignment, and that's what I'm going to do. I mean, the fact that he wasn't out there on passing downs, and I said this before the podcast, is crazy. I mean, he got more push than anybody else on the defensive line, like not including Harold Landry because he's an edge, but like he was in the backfield consistently. There was nobody who could handle him. Even when he didn't shed a block, he was pushing interior linemen into the quarterback's lap. So I to do all of those things and not be a guy where it's like, okay, we're going to put you in just on goal line, which he can do at a fantastic level. We saw that. Or yeah. to put him in on pass rushers. It's it's just it's so hard to it, do that. And I kind of expected that almost when they talked about, you know, we want to ease him back in. I kind of thought that meant, okay, he'll just kind of come on whenever Cam Waite comes on and that'll be that. But they played him in all kinds of different situations. It wasn't like he was just in on third downs or, as you said, uh, in on goal line sets. And, you know, one other thing about Simmons is it's like an early Christmas present for the Titans defense, which was already a top ten defense through the first six weeks of the season. But then all, all of a sudden you've got this guy who not only disrupts, because made, I've made this distinction before, he's not someone that disrupts. He is a disruptor. That, that's who he is. Disrupting is who he is. And, and I asked Kevin Byard after the game, you know, what it's like to just get that all of a sudden. And he said, you know, we kind of knew that this would be the time of year where we would need him, and it's a blessing for, for the defense to get that in the middle of the season. I can't think of a situation recently where that has happened, where a team gets someone for the first time like halfway through a season and it works out quite this well can you guys think of anything else like like that i can't really it's, it's just like a shot in the arm you know or maybe like someone coming off of a six game suspension maybe like zeke a couple years ago um but yeah i don't think he has the type of impact that a, that a player like simmons can uh, and yeah, the, the fact that he, he was able to be so versatile along that defensive line uh, and, and the way Dean Pease used him was really, was really impressive. Uh, it's just, it, it was, it was so good to see. And I can't really remember a, a player like him. I, I, the last time we really had one, I, I think, uh, I, I don't want to say Albert Hainsworth because Haines, Haines it's gotta was, be there. It's gotta be right. Yeah. Like he's, he's the only person who looks that much bigger than everybody yeah. else. And he's like, if I want to yeah. go five feet in front of me, it doesn't matter if you're trying your hardest, I'm going to do it. It's just, if I'm going to do it in a second or two seconds, like yeah. it, it's like, if he decides he wants to go somewhere, you're just going to have to go for the ride. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I, I think that's the thing. I, he's like, he's what? Six, four, maybe like 305, 310 pounds. Casey is big, but he's not very tall. And uh, I, I, he, he's been fine. Casey's, Casey has been a disruptor for, for a really long time. 
But I think that added height and probably that added reach with his arms just makes him such a complete package as a defensive lineman uh, that it totally gives you something else to think about uh, along with Casey and along with a, a couple of, of those other defensive linemen that we have. I'll say this too. You know, people talk about the game slowing down for him in their second year. The game seemed like it was slowed down for Simmons in, in game one. Yeah, which is crazy. But I was thinking about that while you were talking. You know, you were talking about his length and stuff. It, there were plays where he was not supposed to have any impact because the ball was going in the other direction or whatever. But, you know, he, he just gets – it's like he knows instantly, okay, I need to be here and this is what I'm – you know, this is what I can do to give myself a second. So he's like, I'm going to pop this guy with my hands, drive him back a step, and then I'm going to read and figure out what I'm supposed to do. And for a rookie, that's hard to do because you're used to going in, you know – Jeffrey Simmons should be used to going in and playing Old Miss and just beating a guy with athleticism and strength. But it's like he also has techniques and and or technique and a really good understanding of a very complex defense all at the same time. So, you know, maybe when he plays 40 snaps instead of 21 snaps, we see a different kind of outcome. But, I mean, when you look at just what he did, you know, it, it looks like he could do anything he wanted to. They could play him – a defensive end for a few plays if they wanted to. They could put him at one or three or whatever. I mean, he looks like a two- or three-year veteran with a first-round pedigree. Yeah, um, I, I think I agree completely with that. Well, let's have the Tannehill discussion that I teased at the beginning uh, because he was really good in his first start with the Titans, and I made the comment to you guys um, – when we were meeting and going over what we we're going to talk about today, I said it, it was nice for the Titans offense to have a quarterback that was not mentally broken. And I'm going to admit, Will, you're, you're going to think I'm crazy, but but standing in the back of the end zone before the game, when Tannehill steps up, to get uh, his reps before Mariota got his, it, I was sad. Honestly, like I'm like, <laughs> man, that's just it sucks for this guy because he is such a good guy and he did have such a great start to his career, and you hate that it ended th- this way for him. Uh, but that sadness inside of me uh, was over once I saw just how competent a quarterback <laughs> Ryan Tannehill. <laughs> is and and was on sunday if it was sad for you just imagine how sad it was for us marcus mariota apologists it it (laughs) was a it was a rough one you guys know i mean i remember last year will and i having disputes about mariota or like early in the season so yeah i think the two players we fight the most about are mariota and corey davis marcus yeah yeah, th- those those have to be the two. Like we'll, we'll get to Corey in a little bit. Don't worry. <laughs> Good. Can't wait. Uh, Matias, you go ahead and you can talk about Tannehill if you want. Yeah. Yeah. So Tannehill was great in this game. I there's there's really not much else to say. The completion percentage was there. He was zinging the ball in on several occasions, sometimes on the move, and he was over ten ten yards per attempt. He just played really really well. The interception wasn't his fault at all. Uh, I don't know why Johnu was lined up on. Uh, I I don't think it was Bosa. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. It, it might was uh, Nuosu. Oh, and Nuosu. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I don't know why he was lined up uh, uh, on an edge rusher. Uh, but 
that the interception was wasn't Tannehill's fault, and he made all of the throws that he needed to make. And I think uh, I wrote in the group at one point. I think maybe after the game, uh, the, the thing that stood out to the most was that Tannehill was throwing with confidence, with anticipation, and he was giving his guys a chance to make contested catches. Something yeah. that Mariota, for for whatever reason, uh, maybe it was mental, maybe it was just not a trust in his own in his own arm strength or his own ability to make the throws or in in the ability of his receivers to make the catches he just wouldn't give his guys a chance for whatever reason and i think that's what that's what stood out the most to me and i think it's a big reason why the titans offense looked like a, a an average to an above average unit and it was just so key to get above average level quarter play and we saw what it could do for us yeah, you know, for whatever reason, maybe it's just that at Oregon he never had any good receivers, and then for his first two or three years with the Titans, his best receiver was Delaney Walker, and then, you know, as soon as he gets Corey Davis and trusts him, you know, in Corey's rookie year, he got hurt, and it really derailed that, and at that point you're playing with your backups and your fourth and your fifth receiver and all that, and maybe he just never developed that trait where it's like, okay, sometimes you just have to throw the ball and hope that, your receiver comes down with it because he really didn't do that in the intermediate or short part of the field ever. And I think with how tight you had to win games as a Titans player for the last two years, there's finally some leeway to do that. And it's just not there. Um, also about Nuoso's uh, strip sack interception thing. Like I know why it was because Arthur Smith's calling the plays and we can, we can talk about that oh, maybe right, another time, <laughs> but it's like, he like the fact which all all circles back to say it's impressive that Tannehill is doing this in spite of Arthur Smith because it's not like there were any you know better grand designs this week. It was just you know Tannehill making off script plays and Tannehill giving his guys a chance even when you know the play calling was against him. It was impressive. You know we still saw the same Deion Lewis screens and uh, Derrick Henry screens. Well, I, and, I have that written down as a topic. We're going to get to that oh, okay. later. We, we can cut to that in a second. But, I mean, they still want to throw it to Derrick Henry, which is, you know, history has shown that's a bad decision, but he's one for one with Tannehill. So, I mean, let's ride, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, it, Tannehill looked good. I think there was plays early where um, – there was one play where he ran out of the pocket where there really wasn't pressure. And then there was another play where he ran out of the pocket and threw a pass. And from my seats in the stands, it looked like there was, and there was an underneath guy. And I thought it was a bad decision to throw that. And I said it was a bad pass because I thought the, my angle looked like Corey Davis had to slow down, but no, I mean, it was just a really good pass, and Tannehill just threw it past the defender underneath. So See, I think that's was, interesting, Will, because we talked a little bit about that during the game. and We sit yeah. on the same side. You, you just sit right above the press box. And me, I I didn't see what you saw. Like, I thought it was pretty accurate, that, that pass he made on the run. Seeing the replay, uh, I can definitely see where you came from because there was a guy underneath. But I think the throw was so good that it really didn't matter. Yeah, the, and and I think that's right. Like I think I saw the play and how it went, and I thought it, I just didn't expect that kind of arm strength. And I don't know whether seeing it live just like broke my brain for a second. And I was like, well, that was a bad throw because of this. And it was like, well, it wasn't a bad throw because the placement it was just a bad throw because I'm so used to seeing you know Mario to throw those balls lower and away so that uh -huh. the defender can't get to it. 
but which I don't think is necessarily bad. Like I think we saw Tannehill do that later in the game with Jonu Smith. Like sometimes you need to throw low and away so only your guy can get it, or you're still in a position to make a play on the next down instead of having it intercepted. But you know, that's where I expected the ball to be, I guess, because that's how I've been trained to see it. And then, but but like I said, I'll admit when I'm wrong. I watched the replay, and it was just a really good pass right at hand level. So, and he did that a few times. You know, he trusted. And I, I talked to y'all uh, after the game. I don't I can't remember if it was Sunday night or Monday morning or whatever, but about how it looked like there were drives where certain guys were getting targeted more than yeah. others. And I went back and looked, and, and it's true. Like there's plays where it's very clearly designed to go to one guy, or he looks at one guy the whole way. But I mean, I don't I don't mind if you've got that kind of arm strength. Like you don't have to go through all your reads if you can make those tough throws and then occasionally go through reads to make sure defenses just can't key on that. So yeah, Tannehill was great. I mean, not not just good. Like he was actually great. He shouldn't have an interception on his record. And aside from drifting directly into Joey Bosa one time uh, on the left side and having a force fumble that could have really screwed the game up. But aside from that, he really didn't make many mistakes. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing uh, that he did for the Titans offense is something that you were kind of hinting at, Matias, and that's that he was decisive. He and After the game, I asked him, I said, why is it important for a quarterback to be decisive? And the answer he gave, uh, he obviously, you know, I'm going to preface this, he's, he's not comparing himself to Mariota in this. He was just answering my question, which was, why is decisiveness important? But his answer, I think, illustrates the biggest difference in him and Mariota at this point. He said, you've just got to see it clearly and make a quick decision. That's playing quarterback. That's what the Titans weren't getting from Marcus Mariota. See it clearly and make a quick decision. Mariota was taking forever and going through every read and trying too many different things and not, as you hinted at, guys, you know, not trusting his... Uh, not trusting his receivers, whereas Tannehill was firing away and making very quick decisions. I think that the best example is uh, Corey Davis's touchdown uh, where he's sort of in between two linebackers. It was almost like a stop route, and Tannehill takes the snap, saw it, and just gunned it in before the linebackers could close in, and that was just him trusting his reads. The Tajay touchdown was the same thing. He said after the game that – he knew when the ball was snapped because they were in uh, they were in man and the safety blitz, so he immediately knew he was going to have Tajay, and so he dropped back and he fired it over the middle, and you know what? He got a touchdown to Tajay Sharp, and so really both of his touchdowns came from decisiveness and understanding the defense pre-snap and trusting his film study and his understanding. I, I'm kind of rambling, I think, at this point, but you get the point I'm making in the difference between him and Mariota. Yeah, I, I mean, eventually it's going to lead to an interception or two, yeah, the, yeah. those tight window throws. But I think the risk kind of uh, – the the reward outweighs the risk, you know? Because... I mean, I, I could theoretically start 16 games for the Titans and never throw an interception. But right. me hucking it out of bounds every other play because I don't want to get killed doesn't make me a good quarterback. Yeah, and I don't know, but it it just felt like Mariota was was dragging the offense down just because he wasn't pulling pulling the trigger on those tight window throws, and he just wasn't even attempting to get the ball to his weapons, which have proven to be able to to make plays when they do have the ball. Uh, we saw Corey Davis; he got targeted uh, a good amount of times in this game, go six for eighty and a touchdown. 
We know how good A.J. Brown has been, but he hasn't really gotten too many targets in a single game. Uh, he gets targeted a good amount in this game, makes something happen. And also, Adam Humphreys has one of his better games of the season. So I, I think th- this team has a lot of talent. It really does on both sides of the ball. If you get the ball out quickly and you can get the ball to your playmakers, uh, you can you can be a, an above-average offense. And I think we saw it in this game. Uh, I, I we We kind of... A lot of people liken the quarterback position or like a game manager at the quarterback position to be kind of like a point guard in the NBA, like a Steve Nash or like a Jason Kidd who just, you know, flings assists to, to, to every corner of, of the uh, of the court. And you're just giving your guys a chance to pull up and shoot here. You're giving Corey Davis a chance to to catch the ball in a tight window or maybe catch the ball with a little room to run after the catch. And, and they've proven to be able to do something with it when they get those opportunities. Yeah, it, I mean, it's just, it's the, the going back to the touchdown to Tajay Sharp, just talking about it in general, like Tajay Sharp, not the first guy you would think of, but Corey Davis and AJ Brown should be, but that was all kind of set up by the earlier touchdown that he was able to throw because he was able to kind of rocket it in there in that tight coverage instantly to Corey Davis. As soon as he made his cut, all of a sudden the defense has to set up kind of a picket fence in the front front line of the end zone, which leaves you all that space in the back, which is exactly where, what Tannehill did is he just kind of not even like, it wasn't like it was a rainbow, and it wasn't like it was a laser. It was just this kind of like feather touch to the back of the end zone. Tajay hit 45 different toe steps in, which, I mean, I'm glad he did that to make sure he got his feet in, but like he was very deliberate to do that. But, I mean, it, he could have just stood there and caught it, basically. Like it, it was it was that kind of impressive of, I know this is coming. I'm going to trust what I'm seeing, and I'm going to throw this, and I'm – confident that that defender is not going to drop back i'm confident that if i put it where it's supposed to be my receiver will come down with it and it was i mean you know we can talk about Corey davis and aj brown all day and we will but like to get adam humphreys to have such a good game to get tajay sharp to have such a good game to get johnny smith to have such a good game and ferkser like it's it's you're getting all of the distribution that you would get with marcus but you're not getting or but you're also getting a focus to certain players when you're ready to say, okay, I've got Corey Davis and I haven't thrown him the ball in five plays. It's time to throw him the ball again because he'll make a play if I do. And well, that, that's exactly and, and, what the offense should be. And Will, I think there's someone you left out on that list of you know, Tannehill made whoever had a, have a good game. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And that's the five guys on the offensive line, Lawan, Saffold, Jones, uh, Kelly, and Jameel Douglas. Because Tannehill after the game said that those guys dominated – and they really did. And I saw a stat on uh, on Twitter this past week, and I think it, it was an accurate one, that the Titans' offensive line had a top 10 in the NFL pass block win rate. It was just that when they weren't winning, it was always a sack. Yeah. Which made the sack numbers hike up. And I just – that was one thing that I wasn't blaming Mariota for ent- entirely. Yeah, he held on to the ball too long, whatever, but – the protection was not very good it looked like anyway but now I'm starting to wonder maybe that was a Mariota problem too you know the offensive line looking miserable even though they have a a pretty good amount of talent what do you think about that specifically Will? Uh, So the strength of the Chargers defense is their edge rushers in usually having uh, Melvin Ingram, Joey Bosa, and Nuosu, who can kind of do some pass rush stuff on the outside or blitz or play off or whatever, you know, 
they don't have a lot of defensive tackles that are going to disrupt the game. So, you know, Nate Davis, Saffold, and Jamil Douglas all got beat a few times, but Saffold probably had his one of his better game, probably second to Atlanta, but it was still a, still a good game, especially for what he's been producing before. You know, we'll see how he does when Calais Campbell lines up against Nate Davis or Jamil Douglas or whoever's healthy at right guard at that point. Like, I'm I am impressed with how he got the ball off and how he didn't seem to take. He only seemed to take one sack that wasn't really his fault or that was really his fault when he drifted into Bosa, like we talked about earlier. But yeah, it it helps when you can say, okay, you've got Bosa, but I'm going to go ahead and put Taylor Lewan on him, and then you know then that's Arthur Smith's fault for not continuing to put an extra guy on Bosa or whatever when he lined up against Dennis Kelly. But Lewan did an outstanding job neutralizing whoever he was playing against. They, really outside of one play from Bosa against Lewan, not, not not the sack that Tannehill ran into, but another play. But outside of that, really, there was no pressure given up by Lewan on that side at all. Like it, You could draw a line in the pocket, and I could tell you exactly where his heels were going to end up. So... You know, that's great. Jones is good. Um, there's times where Saffold seemingly throws guys into Jones from the side, like not not like a handoff. It's like he'll get driven a yard back and then he'll throw a guy right at Jones, which is like sabotage. It, it kills a, you know, a pocket. But, you know, for the most part, they did fine. Like it, it was, the inside did fine. The outside, when Conklin was in especially, did great. And then when Kelly was in, did a serviceable job. But yeah, part of that is on Tannehill knowing, like we talked about earlier, he sees what he sees, and he's you know sometimes he's just like I'm going to try to zip it to you know AJ Brown on this curl route. I know he's got tight coverage, but whatever. Or I'm going to throw it to Corey Davis, even though he's covered by Casey Hayward, and I'm just going to do that. Yeah. So I was going to splash a little bit of cold water. Uh, we, we've we've been heaping a lot of praise, but I think it's important to be conscious conscious yes. of the fact that the Chargers are not good. Their defense in particular was absolutely decimated in this game. They were missing Melvin Ingram, Brandon Meebane, uh, down to their third-string safety, Roderick Teamer, because Derwin James and Adrian Phillips are injured. Uh, Casey Hayward got injured in the middle of the game. So I, I think it's important to keep all of this kind of in context. Yes, the offense looked very good, uh, much better th- than previous weeks, but they were going up against a Chargers defense that that hasn't been good really all season, and that Devlin Hodges, honestly, no one even knows who Devlin Hodges is, had a decent game against them uh, the the week prior. So I, I think that's that's kind of important uh, to take into account, and yeah. also the fact that we probably should have lost that game. I, I think. Well, I think I don't yeah. know. Man. It, it, it makes it, I mean, me a little. If Melvin but, Gordon doesn't fumble on the one-yard line, the Titans' season is virtually over. Right. Also, but, I mean, if Jeffrey Simmons doesn't play in that game, then, then Melvin Gordon definitely gets in. But, yeah, I think so. But if Jeffrey Simmons plays in that game, Melvin Gordon can try to run that 45 times, and he's not getting in. He, he got he got four, three or four chances at that over the course of the game, and he got it in zero times. Nowhere. So, to, yeah. To, to so quote not, to quote Chargers head coach Anthony Lynn, you don't get one yard, you don't deserve to win the game. Yeah, so, I mean, and and also, like, to be fair, if, if we're really going to put blame where it's supposed to be, uh, then we have to talk about Dean Pease putting Woodyard on Eckler for a uh, full That's a bomb. rabbit trail. That's a rabbit trail. <laughs> I mean, well, I'm just saying, like, if we're yeah, going to say, like, yeah. they should have won the game for this, they should probably have done better, like, knowing that they were up well, 10 with seven it, minutes to go. That's a good point. You can 
you can go back and forth on that. Uh, yeah. Our next topic is going to be one that, that Will had the idea of, and we're going to talk about Ryan Tannehill, at least in this one game, compared to some of the other recent high draft pick quarterbacks in the NFL. We're going to look at, I don't want to say this and make it sound too like hot takey and like clickbait, but we're going to look at, is Ryan Tannehill justifiably better than or as good as some of these guys like you know, maybe a Baker Mayfield, a, a Carson Wentz type. So stay tuned for that. But real quick, we're going to share with you a word from one of our sponsors. So take a listen to that, and then we'll have the discussion. All right, so now we're going to have uh, that discussion. And we're going to go through a list of quarterbacks drafted in the last four drafts, minus this year's rookie. So we're not going to get into Minshew, Daniel Jones, uh, Kyler Murray. And these are starting quarterbacks, like regular starters. So sorry, Delvin Hodges, you're not a – Devlin, whatever your name is, you're not a part of this. Um, <laughs> let's let's start with uh, – and I just want to do this quick. We don't need to you know analyze all of these guys. But just like which you would rather have in like a one-sentence rationale. First name I have on my list is Baker Mayfield. I would rather have Baker Mayfield than Ryan Tannehill because the ceiling is much higher and Baker is going to get better than he is right now. If we're doing only this season, I'm I'm taking Tannehill. Baker yeah. looks terrible. Well, yeah, this season I would yeah, this, probably this take season, Tannehill. Baker yeah. looks awful and turned the ball over too too much. Too but much I think the reason we're having this discussion is like to maybe prove the point of is drafting a quarterback always the wisest choice? Yeah. And in this one, I think. If if Baker Mayfield is in this draft class, you draft Baker Mayfield, right? Um, yeah, I'm 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 okay. Keep going. Josh Rosen. I would rather have Ryan Tannehill. I don't even think that's close. Tannehill. Yeah. Tannehill. Yeah. Uh, Sam Darnold. This one is closer. Um, <laughs> is I it mean, though? Last night pushed me over the edge, man. Also, Did also, you watch like, the game? Well, yeah, he, he threw also, four picks. He said, I see ghosts. Huh? He was yeah, terrible. Like, Darnold, like, the Jets drafted third after, like, a full year with him last year, right? Like, he, he's not – I mean, not that he had a ton to work with, but I don't know, man. Like, I don't know. McCown yeah. played when they when they were here, so I don't know how long that was going on. Oh, that's true. He got, I guess he got injured or something in the middle. Yeah, still, though, he's gotten mono and injured over the last two years, and he's not very good when he's in, so – Tannehill for me. I I like Sam Darnold and I think he can get better. I'm gonna I'm gonna say Sam Darnold just because of the ceiling. Um, <sighs> and I know that's an unpopular choice. Josh Allen, I would rather have Ryan Tannehill. Really? I would rather have Josh Allen. Josh really? Allen is too turnover prone. His he does are bad. so. He does so much for you on the ground and. I don't know, man. He's. I think he's looked kind of good this year. I know the numbers kind of well, don't. They're back a good up, football but... team. Like they're six and one right now, and these yeah. people saying that that's like an accident or something. Like no, they they're a really good team. We saw that firsthand a few weeks ago. Dude, but they've got a pretty bad offense. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, so I Frank, mean, I, but I think that's what Matias is saying is that yeah. Allen is elevating them to a point where they're winnable. Yeah. But I, I. I don't know. I'm, I I'm saying Tannehill. I disagree. Yeah. Let, let me let me say I would say Tannehill, and I don't think Allen's good. I think he's being propped up by an especially good defense. Okay, Lamar Jackson. This one is, a, oh. I think, the toughest one. This really? is even tougher this is than the Darnold. Easiest. You, you think you think this is tougher than Sam Darnold or like? Okay, or like, if I'm an offensive coordinator, I'd rather have Tannehill because I don't want to run a Lamar Jackson offense. 
But like, just I don't know. What do you guys think? Lamar Jackson. Lamar. I would Lamar, take Lamar Jackson sure. over like, over like. I would take Tom like Brady. five quarterbacks. Say, over, say, say over Tom Brady. I know you would pick him over Tom Brady. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. No, 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 no. <laughs> I just don't know that Lamar uh, yeah. is sustainable. Oh, I don't think he is. I think I think that that style of offense is really hard on your body, and it's really hard once people kind of figure out how to put the edges up and what you struggle with, like where you can't pass the ball. But like until then, it's just kind of trial and error. But Having said that, like I would rather have Lamar Jackson, and then I can just build the rest around him. Like if I have to have a new coach, I'm, I'm going to agree with you there. I'm going to agree with but, you there. I'm going to yeah. take Lamar. I mean, if I took Darnold, I have to take Lamar. Right. Okay, uh, Patrick Mahomes. We're going to skip that one. Mitch Trubisky. Uh, oh my hell. god! Pretty easily, right? Yes, yeah, for yes. sure. Any I would take Chase Daniel over Trubisky. I take Sam Darnold over Trubisky. Now here's the moment oh, yeah. of yes. truth for our friend Will Lomas. Just there Deshaun Watson. You Tannehill have to take sure. Deshaun Watson, Tannehill right? Tannehill for sure. No, Tannehill what? for sure. Well, You're going to take Tannehill? I'm, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, yeah, Deshaun Watson. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jacoby Brissett. Uh, Tannehill? Uh, I don't That's know. That's hard. I like he's Jacoby. Played, yeah, he's played with two really good offensive coordinators that never ask him to do anything outside of his like comfort zone. Uh, He's got a good arm, though. Damn. Jared Goff. I think they are probably close to the same player. You don't even have to hey, ask me. No, you, yeah, no you way. Answer. Tannehill for sure. You Tannehill. think Tannehill is better than Jared Goff? I think Tannehill is 100 times. I think Jared Goff is maybe one of the bottom three quarterbacks in the NFL. If Goff gets pressure, didn't he throw it's for like over. 35 yards on over. Thursday or Sunday or whenever this was? Did you say 35 yards? I think that 53 it had a three and a five in it. Let's see. I'll just ask Siri. Uh, how many how many yards did Jared Goff throw for in his last game? Well, no, it was the week before. Jared Goff had 268 passing yards against the Falcons. That, that that's not right. That was yeah, that was Sunday. <laughs> how many of the week before? Oh, that, okay, yeah. yeah. How many passing yeah, yards okay. did Jared Goff have in week six? <laughs> there you go. Jared Goff had 78 passing yards against yeah, the 49ers. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. So basically Jake Fromm. Yeah. Like that that's they're the same guy. I would not I don't think Jared Goff's good. I don't Wait, no, either. I'm thinking of someone else that You're thinking of Jake Fromm. Yes. Yeah, you are that's what I'm thinking. I'm trying to tell you, you're thinking of Jake Fromm. Okay. Like, they're both bad. Like, it's okay. Like, so, they can both well, be bad. Last, qu- last question to Siri. How many yards did Jake Fromm throw for this week <laughs> against Kentucky? Jake Fromm had 35 passing yards against huh? Kentucky. <laughs> 35? That's crazy. I'm picking Ryan Tannehill. I'm picking no, no. Ryan Tannehill. Yeah. Okay. Tannehill. Car- Carson Wentz. We kind of talked about this before, but I think Wentz is still the choice. Yeah. Yeah. But he has not looked good. He's made it a lot more difficult over the last six weeks. It's really hit or miss, man. I, it's really weird. Yeah, yeah. and speaking, it's a good phrase you use there, hit or miss, with Wentz, because I think it really applies to a lot of these guys, because we were about half and half on guys that are better than Tannehill and guys that aren't better than Tannehill. And so I'll pose this question quickly before we move into uh, talking about – we're going to talk about Deion Lewis real fast, and then we're going to talk about the Buccaneers. Um, do you draft a quarterback 
if Tannehill finishes the year relatively strong. Like, I'm talking like 2016 version of Tannehill where the Dolphins made the playoffs and he got hurt at the end and didn't get to play in the playoffs, but he was really good for them. T- Tannehill would have to lead us to the Super Bowl <laughs> for, for exactly. me to not want to draft a quarterback. So, so, so let's let's say let's say this. I'm going to give you a scenario, and and then we'll move on. The Titans are currently a game and a half out of the division lead. Mm-hmm. Let's say the Titans win the division with Tannehill, go to the playoffs, win a playoff game, and they're picking 24th in the draft. You're certainly not going to get Herbert uh, to a tongue of Iloa or uh, Joe Burrow at that point. If you're sitting at 24 because you won a playoff game, do you trade up or do you franchise tag Tannehill? Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen. That probably will not happen. But in that case... Okay, so I, I would draft a quarterback anyway at some point. At some point I, in the well, draft. I, at some point. You wouldn't trade up. Uh, how far can you trade up? To get one of the top three, you mean? I mean, the, the Chiefs did it with Mahomes. They they won a playoff game with Alex Smith and then traded well, yeah. up to get Mahomes. If that scenario plays out, yeah, I, I would definitely trade up for a quarterback because it means that you probably have a Super Bowl roster because we've seen what Tannehill's ceiling is. Yes. Uh, I mean, he's 31. He, he's It's not like he's magically going to become Tannehill's a top 31? five quarterback. Is he really? Yeah, he's 31 years old. Man. Quarterbacks play until 100. It doesn't matter. Yeah, that's true. Uh, um, but, yeah, I mean, there is there is no scenario where I don't draft a quarterback this year. Okay. Because you only have one on the roster. So and, and you're, not gonna you're, get, you're not going to get a developmental guy in free agency because they don't hit free agency. So if you're thinking, okay, I've got a guy who took me to the playoffs last year, which means that I clearly have a playoff caliber team, and I just have to support them with a good quarterback – I'm taking a quarterback that I believe can be good as soon as possible, and I'm hoping that Tannehill makes it through 2020, and then 2021 I have a really hard decision to make. So last question before we look ahead to the Buccaneers, who the Titans will play this Sunday in another home game, which, by the way, they will end up having four games out of five at home over these next over last week and then the next three or four. Uh, why is Deion Lewis still getting – plays designed for him in the passing game. It is maddening why this is still happening. I don't know. And you know what the worst (laughs) part of it is? That every time he's on the field, it's a passing play. So the defense knows exactly what's coming. And on that 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 uh Mona Lisa screenplay that we saw. Oh my gosh. This when when that happened, Terry McCormick, who has covered the Titans since nineteen ninety eight Eight, I believe, when they were the Tennessee Oilers, turns to me and says, Luke, that might be the worst play I have ever seen. It's because they knew it was coming. Every time he's in the game, it's a screen pass, or sometimes they like they push him out wide uh, to, to, to like a wideout position, and then nothing. It's, it's I, I can't. I feel like at this point, uh, he he's gonna like tweet at us or something and be like, dude, you got you guys are you guys are just mean. It's yeah, every stop, stop picking on me. <laughs> I mean, like, it just there's it's no hard. upside. It'd be no, different it's, if it's hard was like... even when he's on the field, if he's gonna run the ball, it doesn't matter because you don't have to put forth any effort to stop a Deion Lewis run. Like up the middle, you're gonna stop him as soon as you grab him and your interior offensive line isn't good enough to push anybody, then if it's an outside run, you're going to be faster than him, and you're going to get to the edge, and he's going to stop his feet and try to cut back. So 
It, it's just it's a loser that you can go empty and just run jet motion and get exactly the same amount of benefit as you if you had a running back on the field. Okay, let's talk about the Buccaneers, the creamsicles, the turnover factory. Um, Jameis Winston in their last game threw five interceptions. Your response? Uh, as is tradition, right? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I was like below, below his usual average. Dude, I'm, I'm actually kind of upset that we're not getting the Winston Mariota. Like, Fail off? Sad, sad. Fail ball. off? Yeah. Is that what you yeah. said, Will? Yeah. I mean, it's like... Uh, you know, inning, you make inning, like inning. I remember when we were looking ahead of the Bills game, we were talking about Josh Allen. We were like, you know, he's one of those guys that he'll give you one opportunity to to uh, you know get an interception. You just got to take advantage of that. Op- no, Jameis is going to give you like ten. You just got to take advantage of like one or two of them, and you're good to go. Yeah, he also takes a bunch of sacks, so I don't because he's this unathletic. Like, this is a really good matchup for the Titans. He's huge and slow. I'm I'm like Ben, who like people. Ben Roethlisberger, like people just slip off of him. Jameis is big and slow, and like doesn't have that. That yeah, that, that that's the <laughs> thing all about the bad parts. he's all the bad parts. Yeah, <laughs> someone someone was telling me the other day that that like Jameis was was a run first quarterback in college, and I'm like, no, he's not. He is incredibly slow and has always been slow. He can move sometimes, like outside of the pocket, and maybe gain three to five yards. But he's big. He's kind of top heavy. Uh, he can't move very well. And when he's confined to the pocket, uh, he needs receivers to be open. If not, he's probably going to throw an interception or take a sack. Yeah. So uh, I just looked it up. PFF has Winston credited with eight of their sacks. So if that tells you how poor he manages a dirty pocket, like I think that's a pretty good representation. So yeah, like. I do. I am sad that I, I feel like the Titans and the Buccaneers should have called each other first and be like, "Look, we'll bo- I'll play Mariota and you play Winston, <laughs> and then like we'll bench them both after this game, no matter what happens." Gabber, like, Gabber versus uh, <laughs> Gabber versus Tannehill. <laughs> oh, but, I like, forgot they have Gabbert. Oh no, yeah, my so goodness! Sorry. Oh, that's sorry. right. Yeah, he got hurt. He like broke his arm or something. Um. Anyway, that, that truly, truly doesn't matter. I think in the preseason, that, that truly matters less than almost anything else we could say. But yeah, I mean, they're like, they are a turnover factory is a great way to explain them. Like, I, I cannot wait to watch Jeffrey Simmons against this offensive line. I cannot wait to watch the second best receiver in the NFL. Corey Davis, Chris Godwin, <laughs> Mike Evans. Uh, that dude is unbelievable. And, is there and second to Godwin? So was Godwin, man. Yeah, I was going to say. Those like, two receivers are – I mean, is that the best duo in the league? It is, right? Stephon, uh, Diggs, I mean, and Thielen. Yeah. Julio is the only person I'm taking over Mike Evans. And so that, plus as good as Godwin has been, does he still lead the league in receiving? Because he did last week. Godwin, yeah. He yeah, I think, I think he's one or two. For 12. Hmm. That's a good question for another time. Is the best. The good, the good news is OJ Howard looks like a terrible tight end this year, so we don't have to worry too much about him. That said, this seems like a game where Cameron Bray, for some reason, like goes off. I, I feel like I feel like we always allow a tight end to, how to you, have a big game. Go ahead. How would you distribute the corners against uh, Evans and Godwin? I think Butler is a good option Butler for Evans. Mike Evans. Yeah. Well, Legal. Godwin plays a slot, so Logan Ryan would yeah. probably oh, be on okay. him. Oh, well, time. then, yeah, okay. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. 
I thought yeah. body type wise, I would put Logan Ryan on uh, Evans just because he's more physical and. But Logan's but yeah. a slot guy. Yeah, that yeah, you're right. That's true. Um, I had something to say, but I forgot. Well, I think the best receiver duo in the NFL might be uh, Alan Lazard and uh, Marcus Scantley, or whatever his name is. Valdez yes. Scantley. That somehow yes. Aaron Rodgers and Matt Lafleur are making that work, which that's a miracle. Yeah, you can you can leave Matt Lafleur out of that, but yeah, like Aaron Rodgers <laughs> is making my man Matt Lafleur. <laughs> yeah, my man who's out there making the throws and checking out a play. Like the fact that Aaron Rodgers checks out of the floor plays at the line of scrimmage and everybody's like, Oh, what a good start for the rookie head coach. Like is insane <laughs> to me. That he basically like it turns off his headset when he goes on he's the a, field. He's, he's helping place. Rodgers develop. That's what that's Yeah, what like is. thank goodness LaFleur came. The quarterback <laughs> whisperer. Yeah, ridiculous. Although Marcus got a lot worse when he left here. Um I don't know if he got a lot that, worse. That's a rabbit didn't he have like because they didn't he have seven touchdowns and two interceptions? I mean, that's that's not a lot worse Ooh. than he was doing last year. Um, so, do we want to focus on the Bucks? Maybe maybe we could go around to uh, say say what we think uh, is a bad matchup for us. Because I don't see a bad matchup. Or a bad matchup for us? Yeah, I'm like, uh. Their kicker's pretty good. He hits like 50 yards. <laughs> I, I think I'm yeah. a little, I'm concerned about that. Yeah, you, you you were right, though. Like, Cameron Bright, like, big white tight end, like, for sure going to get at right. least six catches for 85 and a touchdown. It's a tight like, tradition. Yeah, it's like a tale as old as time is us just completely ignoring the tight end on first and second down. Like, I, assume, I assume that Levante David is healthy, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was injured earlier, but I think he's back. He's a really good and player. And Sha- Shaq Barrett was having, like, a defensive player of the oh, year. that's right. Yeah, Shaq Barrett against uh, – I feel like Taylor Lewan is just going to totally stonewall that guy. Does he line up – I'm looking up where he lines up now. Also, King Sue exists. Yeah, a lot of people forgot that he went back – that he went to Tampa Bay, but he's there. I don't know if he's good. Uh, PFF says no, but, you know. Sue? Yeah, I haven't, yeah. I haven't, I haven't like seen well, him do anything this entire year. And yes. I think all of this sort of discussion that we've had points to Tampa Bay being a team with an incredibly high ceiling that they never ever reach. Like you've got this insane wide receiver duo, this insane tight end duo. You've got Ronald Jones in the backfield, who though he hadn't quite been what you drafted him to be, is still pretty explosive. You've got maybe the best will linebacker in the NFL in uh, Levante David, um, and Dominic Sue, a guy who had eight sacks in like four games, but yet you're two and four, and it hadn't been a pretty two and four at all. I kind of feel like uh, looking over the roster that Tampa Bay is like a bizarro Tennessee Titans where they spent all their draft capital and cap space in offense instead of defense. And where, like, like I said, where the Titans spent all of theirs in defense and had a quarterback that eventually they'd have to replace in four years. That's what the uh, the Buccaneers are doing. But now they have now they're going to completely implode because they have to start over again and on that side of the ball. The, so the li- the linebacker from LSU that they drafted, he hadn't even played, has he? He got hurt. He was uh, injured. Yeah, he came uh, back. He came back. I think the uh, the week. What's, it, what's his by. name? It slipped in my mind. For Devin some White. White. Yeah, Devin, Devin White. White. Yeah, uh, he he played in three games, I think, is what it says. Well, like, yeah, I mean, know, I they, love they, Devin White, by the way. They put fifty-five points on the Rams, and and beat the Panthers, uh, but got thirty-one hung on them by the 49ers and lost to the Daniel Jones Giants. The only loss to the Daniel Jones Giants. 
and the then win and then they imploded in London. The Panthers defense yes. had it like not a historic which, which day. But. Last thing I want to yeah. say about them: Bruce Arians was like my favorite coach in the NFL when he was with Arizona. And like when Carson Palmer got hurt and retired, I'm thinking like, okay, you just draft a quarterback with your really high draft pick and like a Rosen, you know, who they drafted. But then when Arians retired, I was like, oh, it's over for them. Cause I had a ton of respect for Arians. And now he's in Tampa Bay, and maybe it's a Jameis problem. I don't know, but they're this doesn't feel like a Bruce Arians team, you know? It, I mean, they're scoring points, it right? Yeah, but mo- a lot of it is in garbage time, isn't it? Oh, I don't. I that, I, I cannot say that I've watched. Jameis, Jameis is a garbage time machine. He is garbage. Well, is that what you said? Sorry, you well, cut out. I just assumed I said you said garbage. he's garbage. Uh, garbage time machine. You, you keep cutting out. I just assume you're going to say he's garbage. I can't. <laughs> no, but I, I I agree with that, and it, I don't know. I, I don't know why he would take this job. Honestly, I, I don't know if he yeah, he like, saw why was this probably the in his last season. And points he, per game. Uh, the Bucks are fourth in points per game this year. I mean, but I mean, but the I'm quarterback sure has been awful. So oh, something yeah, is going sure. awry there. Yeah, like well, Tyler. Yeah, he turns the ball over, and those turn into points for the other team almost instantly. And then he gets a chance to go out there and throw 50-50 balls again. And sometimes that sometimes it works out, and sometimes it doesn't. But he's always going to try. Like he he is what people like. I, I truly believe that if the Titans and uh, Buccaneers traded quarterbacks for each other, it would satisfy everything that the fan bases are complaining about. And then a year after that, they would be ready to like completely scrap everything. Because yeah, man, they're, the, they're, they're getting up thirty-one points a game on defense. That, yeah, that's why they're scoring points. points. Yeah, that's uh, so that's that's true. They they are definitely like a high volume everything. Like they're going to put points up, and they're going to let you put, or almost force you to put points up on them. Yeah. Like they're one of the worst defenses in. I mean, like other than the Dolphins, like I mean, I, I guess the Falcons are, are the second worst team, but still, like it, it just feels like the Buccaneers at any particular moment. Uh, maybe it's because I've seen us like pull off of the offense against the Falcons when we could have scored more, but it looks like the like Buccaneers just score to make you keep scoring to you know, like open up your distance and make a bigger differential, but they're not going to stop until the game's over. So. Yeah. I don't know. It feels like it's a fun game to watch if you're like... Yeah, I, I think it's going to be watch. exciting. Yeah, it's like if you want to hold your breath while the ball's in the air and you're like, oh, who's going to come down with it? Like, that's this kind yeah. of game. You're like, I want to see really good play calling and like precision on offense. This is probably not the game for you. Uh, let's close out the show as we always do with our Stop the Nonsense segment where it sort of started as looking at bad sports takes and it, it's just kind of... I'm not going to say devolve. I think it's evolved into... Just looking at nonsense in general from the sports world, um, who, who wants to start this week? And if you have a, a submission for us, something you want us to look at or, or expose uh, next time, you can shoot it to us on Twitter, at NoNonsensePod. Who, who wants to go first? I guess I'll start. So I don't really have, like, a specific take. Uh, it, it's kind of just an account. So... <laughs> 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 the Irish Titans account. Uh, I, I don't know where they came from. Honestly, they they got a pretty big following, and like I randomly followed. I them. think they came from Ireland, Matthias. Well, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. They got they they got into it with Buck Rising today, and he said something about like 
the the language barrier with the Irish. That was very funny. I don't know why they were fighting with Buck. Who would fight with Buck? He's he's a great guy, friend of the pod, also. Can you? But I haven't seen the tweets. I saw where they said uh, Buck Rising is a horrible man. I saw yeah, that. I don't know why. I don't know why at all. I didn't want to want to go down that rabbit hole. So. Burn yeah, <laughs> I'm just gonna. I, I guess I'm just gonna kind of pick a few tweets, but really, all of their tweets are just them using the f word, and then every now and then they'll throw like a Titans player's name, uh, 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 uh following it. Usually, it's Mike Rabel. They really, they really hate Mike Rabel, and it's <laughs> honestly gotten a little bit annoying. But the, but the here are a couple tweets. Uh, these were back to back. First one was wait, wait, wait before you read them. Make sure that we. Keep our not having the explicit tag on our show. No, no, I, I won't pick the way because that's hard to do with the Irish Titans. <laughs> right? Yeah. So uh, one of these tweets was on a side note. I'm a big, big capitalized Lashawn Sims fan. He's the only one. There's no, <laughs> there's no Lashawn Sims fans left. <laughs> not in this entire world. <laughs> and then they follow that up with, to be honest, I don't care who you put in a QB. It's the least of our problems. QB has been the biggest problem this entire season. I have no idea what they're watching, and uh, it's just you could go through their account. It's it I mean, they is. They tweeted the f bomb ten times on Sunday. Yeah, 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 that was funny. It's unbelievable, but it, it's quite the ride. It's a roller coaster. I would highly suggest going through their Twitter account from yesterday. If so, you are over eighteen, or yeah, yeah, if your parents or guardians' permission. Yes, so. <laughs> I'm uh, at a friend's house on Saturday night watching uh, a little bit of Tennessee, Alabama. And right before – I left at during halftime, but right before halftime, uh, Brandon Maurer, who is Tennessee's starting quarterback, got hurt and left the game. So Jarrett Garantano, their backup, comes in. ESPN proceeds to show this graphic. Tennessee's all-time completion percentage leaders, Peyton Manning with a 62.5 mark, <laughs> Next to Jarrett Garantano, a 62.4 mark. This graphic is just incredulous. Like, it looks absurd. Like, I put it on Twitter and people were responding. They're, like, they're like laughing. Like, this is hilarious. But my bone to pick is not so much with ESPN fishing for some kind of narrative. Because when you're ESPN, sometimes you have to do that, I guess. And you're covering Tennessee, so whatever. My re- real beef here is why are we still using in 2019 completion percentages and evaluation for successful quarterbacking? You know who has the all-time completion percentage record in the NFL? Sam Bradford with the Vikings who didn't make the playoffs. Why are we still using this stat to evaluate quarterbacks? It I is like a really last- weird thing. Like, last year, I was uh, watching the Giants-Titans game, the, the CBS broadcast. I don't remember who was doing color, but he goes, yeah, you know, you kind of look at it. Eli Manning's almost having a career year when you look at his completion percentage. <laughs> that I remember that. That was insane. Now and I immediately that. muted the TV and turned on Mike Keith and Coach Mack. Like, I can't handle this completion percentage stuff. It's, it is a lazy stat for – it's like – Pro football focus is sometimes what people use when they're lazy and they don't want to actually evaluate something. Completion percentage just takes it to a whole new level. Like, well, I think this guy's good because he's completing this many percentage of his passes. It's like, I, 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 I can't with that anymore. 
just just cite like adjusted yards per attempt so it seems a little more cooler you know exactly yeah like it like it's so weird how far out of their way they go to sound unintelligent because it's not hard to say like just go i mean just go to any website with any sort of like advanced statistic and you'll see that completion percentage means nothing like it's almost like, uh, and I've I've had this rant before, and I won't go long on it. But when people talk about like yards that a defense allows, like stop saying completion percent, stop saying yards allowed by defense. They don't matter. Those are stats that don't mean anything. Yes, it's a way to falsely like compare things to make them seem like they're closer because they're all going to be between the same like five point range. Like if you're like, oh, Lamar Jackson's completing fifty seven percent, that's only five percent away from Drew Brees. And it's like, okay, well no, like that that doesn't do anything to describe what kind of player they are. Exactly. Will bring us home. Yeah, so uh mine is uh, a guy named Kyle who follows me and he's super super funny. Like sometimes unintentionally, sometimes intentionally. Um he said he sent me something last night after the Adam Schefter report that Tom Brady was, you know, selling his house and that his trainer was selling his house and that he could get out of his contract. He said, Tom Brady to the Titans in 2020, calling it now. Y'all can be my witnesses for this nuclear take. And he added me and Teron Davenport. So uh, that's, I mean, th- this all started back when uh, Paul Kaharski said something about it in the middle of the summer just to get something to talk about. And like, I get it. Like, there are connections there relatively, but there there is no indication that he's ever wanted to play here. There's no indication that he's ever wanted to play outside of New England. There's no indications that he ever would without Belichick retiring or anything else. He's not seeming unhappy. The Patriots are seven and zero. Oh. Like there's there's like it's such a crazy like, and maybe it's wish fulfillment. Like maybe it's like I've always wanted to be able to root for Tom Brady or Peyton Manning, so now's my chance. But I just – I cannot get on board with these takes at the very least until I see that there's any indication that well, he might opt out of his contract. At this point, it's not truth. It's like truthiness. Like truth is objective fact. Truthiness is like what you kind of want to believe, like what's cool yeah. to believe. It's truthiness. Yeah, it's on the fringes of that. Like it's like, okay, if this is true and then the next – it's like if, if this, then maybe. Like that's the, that kind of like weird pro- transitive property stuff, but – it just like it yeah. doesn't it, like some some of our stop the nonsense is make me angry. Like this doesn't make <laughs> me angry. It's just such a weird thing, like yeah. out of nowhere that just started like a, a month ago or two months ago, and it's gotten so much traction. Uh, well, that is going to do it for us. We will be back next week to recap the Titans versus the Buccaneers. We'll look ahead to Titans versus Panthers, which will be their game following. That and, and the Titans, you know, are only a game and a half out of the division lead. You never know what can happen now that they have a competent quarterback play. Uh, but until next time, for Matias and Will, I am Luke. Thank you all for listening. And I'm going to remind you, as I always do, and everyone else in the sports world, to stop the nonsense. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.